Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. Hello, Bethany. It's so good to see everyone, and I want to welcome you if you're watching online. It's just really great to have you here. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3, John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I wanted to let you know next week uh, is Easter, and we're really excited. We're having two services on Saturday and two services on uh, Sunday. And uh, one of the most exciting things is that we're going to be having nursery and child, uh, child, children from uh, preschool, kindergarten, elementary on Saturday night. So we're super excited about that. And we'd love for you to save a, a spot for that. And uh, we have a kind of a sign up so we'll know how many people are coming. But I, I wanted you to know that if by chance you invited a neighbor or a friend and it just was impossible for you to get signed up, we want you to come no matter what. Or you have other plans, but then it, they fall through and then you're going to come to Bethany for Easter. We want you to come even if you don't sign up. We'd love to have you come and visit on Easter. And, and it's going to be wonderful. We're going to be doing the bridge again. Uh, just so you know, uh, it's not a secret. Uh, Jesus is the bridge and he's the one that uh, provides life and he's the one that provides forgiveness and I'm going to have a message we actually will have a bridge built here on the stage and uh, we're going to ask people at the end an invitation for them to cross the bridge and I've already talked to some people that have made um, big commitments to the Lord and asking God to do some amazing things they're already telling me that they're going to be crossing the bridge on Easter so we'd love for you to come love for you to invite a friend and we're going to jump into this uh, story starting with uh, John 3:22. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, verse 36. Uh, the sermon is called, He uh, Must Become Greater. There's this great line in here where John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, who is the Messiah. And he says, he must become greater and I must become less. As we read through it, look for that spot where he says that, because we're going to really kind of focus on that uh, uh, right now. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into Judea countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and the people were coming and being baptized. And this was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. And the bride belongs to the bridegroom, and the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete, and he must become greater, and I must become less. 
And the one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from earth belongs to earth and speak as one, speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. And he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words for God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. And the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. In this story, uh, this is... um, a uh, remarkable story of how the Lord Jesus Christ is gaining more and more uh, popularity and his um, ministry is becoming stronger and stronger. And John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, who was the one telling people that the Messiah was coming and pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ, his ministry diminishes. In fact, he ends up getting arrested. And then if you know the story, uh, he uh, is beheaded uh, by uh, King Herod. And it's a, it's a horrible story and it, it seems like a terrible, terrible end, but uh, what is interesting is John knows what his purpose is, and so he points to that, but I I love this story because it deals with uh, many times the emotions, the human emotions that we have of like um, jealousy and envy. So let's jump in at verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and was baptizing so he's baptizing, and probably his disciples are doing much of the, uh, the baptizing. Uh, it's at the Jordan River, and verse 23 says, And John also was baptizing. And they are baptizing where there's plenty of water. And this is at the, uh, the Jordan River, and, or very close to the Jordan River, and uh, they're, they're baptizing. And uh, John says, and this was before John was put in prison. So this is kind of like the follow-up gospel to the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it looks like they're baptizing at close, close to the same place or maybe even across the river or maybe just down the river. Uh, but they're, they're very, very close proximity. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And we don't know what that argument was. Uh, It's been lost over time. It probably wasn't that important. I don't know if you've had arguments uh, with family members or people that are close to you. And then years later, you try to remember. Maybe you remember that you had an argument and you can't even remember what it was about. And, And many times we get into arguments and You know, it's really not worthwhile, and it doesn't really amount to a hill of beans. And this is kind of what's happening, because in just a few years after Jesus uh, dies on the cross and is resurrected, uh, the the temple is uh, totally destroyed. The Roman uh, totally destroyed the the Jewish system of sacrifice. Uh, Jerusalem is taken over, and all the stuff that they were arguing about that they thought was so important, that whole way of life is destroyed. So this is just really fascinating that they were arguing over it, and maybe they were arguing arguing over it, you know, which is the better uh, baptism, you know, John's baptism of repentance or the Lord Jesus Christ and his, his baptism. Maybe they were having an argument about that, but they were certainly arguing about it. And then it says, verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. 
And so they had this one argument about ceremonial washing, but what's really bugging them is not that argument. And I don't know if you've ever had that where you get into an argument about something or you start, you know, fussing with your wife or fussing with your husband or fussing with your kids about something, but underneath something else is bugging you. And these John's disciples, they're getting bugged because Jesus is getting popular. And they were used to being the popular ones where John would have all the countryside and the whole nation was coming out to be baptized. And now Jesus is having this happen. And they say, Rabbi, teacher, to John, the man who was with you on the other side of Jordan, the one who you testified about, look. And that's what makes me think. That must makes me think. It could have been just down the river or it could have been right across the, the River Jordan or it could have been that they're watching these uh, people, these pilgrims going by them and going to Jesus to get baptized and, and it's just killing them. And they said, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to them. Everyone is going to Jesus. Now, not everyone was going to Jesus, but, you know, that's hyperbole. That's exaggeration. I don't ever say, if you've ever said, you know, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Well, you've never told anyone a million times anything, you know. And uh, there's always someone who says, well, you just don't know, you know, anyway. So a million times, not possible. So there's just this idea that we exaggerate, we use hyperbole. And, and jealousy, envy is this horrible thing that happens, especially in the ministry. And I've been a pastor for quite a few years now, and I want you to know that uh, very rarely do I have jealousy about another ministry that's doing really, really good. Because I personally want to see the kingdom of God grow, and I want to see good things happen. And one of the reasons that we plant churches here at Bethany is is, uh, I don't want to be jealous. I, I don't want to be jealous of other ones. But when I was in my 20s, I could have a streak of jealousy. And when I graduated from seminary, I had a friend, and I just knew that I was a better pastor, a better preacher than him. I just knew it, you know. And when he went to his first church, it was a church of 500. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, and nobody wanted me. I mean, nobody wanted me. And I got my resume out anywhere. I told God, I'll go anywhere. And then he sent me to this church that had, they said they had 35 people. But by Christmas time, we started in May. By Christmas time, there was like 19 and three of them were my family at the time. So it was like 16 people. And I kept getting reports from my friend, you know, that he had 500 people. Plus, he was in central California where I wanted to live. Not central, but central on the coast of California. And it was just like this is so unfair and then God put me in this miserable place with these miserable people and then my friend who's just a clown he's got 500 in his and I, I gotta tell you I eventually repented of my jealousy and my envy because it was so wrong and and so terrible and I wish I could tell you that he was a failure but he wasn't you know, and so if I wanted to, I could still be jealous of him. And I want you to know that jealousy and envy in the ministry, in fact, anywhere, is just foolhardiness. It does nothing but causes you to compare yourself. And then many times we think ourselves less or we think we're superior and things didn't just break our way. And John answers this so wonderful. Look at verse 27. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You only can have what God has given you. God has assigned you your place 
your position, your borders. He's assigned you, your family, your circumstances. And one of the things that is so wonderful is if you can get to a place where you accept where God has assigned you. And you realize that everything you have and everything you're ever going to be has been given from heaven. It's been given by God. Verse 28, you yourselves can testify that I, I am not the Messiah, but, I, but am sent ahead of him. And you know that I've been saying all along that Jesus is the one, that he's the Messiah. And then in verse 29, uh, he gives this wedding analogy, which is such a beautiful analogy. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. It actually is the word is full. I am full of joy and I am full of what has happened. I have accomplished what I was sent to do. And Jesus now is the the bridegroom and he's the one that's getting the attention. And this is the way it should be. And then he says the most wonderful thing, verse 30. He must become greater and I must become less. Uh, It's um, translated in the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, uh, the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, There is uh, this this verse is translated, he must increase and I must decrease. So so what does that mean? And what what does that mean in in our life? What what does that mean? How do we uh, become, you know, like John, that we're willing to be a a groomsman at a wedding where we attend uh, the the groom? How do we get to that point where we're servants and we are servant sons and servant daughters and we serve and, and we're not envious and we're not jealous and we're not questioning, you know, and upset about uh, our place and position? So let me give you the how to do it. And I want to pull it right from scripture, right from these scriptures. If you look at verse 29, it says, The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. So how do we make Jesus greater? How do we make Jesus increase in our lives? And the first thing is this wait and listen. And I want to just focus on wait. And wait literally means to stand. And to stand by, literally to stand by. And one of the things is waiting. And if you've ever been in a wedding, if you've ever been a groomsman or a maid of honor or a bridesmaid, one of the things that you do is that you stand a lot of the time and you wait. And then at the after party or during uh, when you're gathering to have a rehearsal, your job is to serve the groom. And if you're a, 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 a maid of honor or you're a bridesmaid, you're to serve the bride. And, and you stand there during the service and no one's really paying attention to you. You just stand and, and you look at the groom and you look at the bride and they're the ones that are attention. You know, I've been the pastor of and have officiated lots of weddings and... Um, I do most of the talking. I, I do most of the talking, and, and no one pays attention to me, except for Elaine, my wife. She will tell me if it's good or it wasn't good. No one pays attention unless I totally make a mistake. If I make a mistake, it's terrible. Like when I married uh, my daughter, when I officiated my daughter and my son-in-law's wedding, you know, when I announce them, when I announce them, you know, I want to introduce you for the first time 
Aaron and Katie, and instead of saying Schiffelbein, I said Bedlian. And everybody laughed. Everybody laughed. And that's about the only time anyone ever notices me because the attention, the attention is on the groom and the bride. And this idea of standing and waiting is something that's really important in spiritual life. And as you learn to wait on Jesus, he becomes greater and greater and he increases in your thoughts and in your actions, and in your attitude, and in your tone, everything in your life begins to become more and more saturated. The second part of that is wait and listen. Wait and listen. Notice this, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. He listens for him, and then he's full of joy when he hears the, the, the bridegroom's voice. And that's one of the things that's so important is if we're waiting and we're standing by and listening for the Lord Jesus Christ, he begins to speak into our life and he becomes greater and he becomes more and he increases in our lives. So let me transition to the why. I just gave you the how. You wait and you listen, but the why why we should have Jesus become greater and, and we become less. That why Jesus should increase in our lives and we should decrease. Because sometimes that almost sounds, you know, kind of weird, like I'm supposed to be, I'm this nothing and I just shrivel up. And it's not that at all. It's this idea that he becomes more famous in our life. He gets the fame. He gets the glory. And he becomes greater in his influence on us than any other person in our life. So let me give you five reasons, and I want to pull them right from the scripture. I think this scripture is so beautiful. It just gives us these reasons right away. So number one, why we must let Jesus become greater is because Jesus is a from above and is above all. Verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all. And then he says it again. You know, the one from heaven is above all. And one of the reasons that Jesus must become greater in our life is because he's above us and he's above all things. He deserves it. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our loyalty. And he is above. And so he has the heavenly view of our lives. He knows all of eternity. He knows our beginning. He knows our end. He knows our move into glory after life ends. He knows all those things. And he's the one who defends us, and he is our rock and our shield and our fortress and our strength and our savior and our salvation. And he's the one that says that he intercedes for us in Hebrews and in Romans, this idea that Jesus is interceding for us. And so as we pray, it's almost like uh, we're communicating with God, almost like you know, you're, you're in the military and you're communicating and it goes up to the satellite and then goes to the commanders and you can get uh, support and you can get uh, you know, the Air Force to come help you if you're in trouble. And that's one of the reasons Jesus is above and he's above all. And so that's one of the reasons why we want him to be greater in our life. Number two, because Jesus speaks the words of God. Verse 34, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. And Jesus is the word. We learn that in chapter 1, that he's the logos. He's the word, and he speaks the words of God, and he speaks to us. Now, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is special revelation, and the Bible, 
The Bible is special revelation. It's God's word, and it actually speaks to us. And as we read it, and if we read it in the Holy Spirit, now that may sound like super religious kind of words, but it's the idea that the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, is in you and guiding you. And as you read God's word, he actually illuminates it to you, goes from your eyes to your brain, and then down into your heart and into your very soul. And God speaks to you. And Jesus speaks the very words of God. And as you get closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have a relationship where he speaks to you. That you are his servant son or you are his servant daughter. Number three, because Jesus has the Holy Spirit without limits. I just love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses Uh, For the one, verse 34, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. He gives the Spirit without limit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all through his life, if you read the gospel, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read about all the things that Jesus did in his lifetime, you know, stopping the storm, you know, just saying, be still, and the storm stopped, raising the dead, healing the blind, healing the cripple, all the things that he did, even the way that he refuted religious leaders when they tried to trick him and trap him. Uh, He was led by the Spirit, and he had the Holy Spirit without limit. And that word in the original language is mitron, and it means measure. And so uh, it's the idea that Jesus has the Holy Spirit without limit, without measure, without limits, without restrictions, without constraints, without bounds, without checks, without caps. Nothing caps him off. He has total access and has the Holy Spirit without any limit. Because Jesus has no limit, I want him to increase in my life so I have access to that. If he has no limit with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has been given to us and he dwells inside of us, inside of me, inside of you, I want access to that because, to be honest, I have limits. I have limits. In fact, let me give you a word about limits. Uh, We, as human beings, have limits. I don't know if you know that or not. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. Uh, We have limitations in our life. There's one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6. And when I pray it, I kind of doctor it up with the George translation. But I'll actually read you this one from the NIV. Lord, Yahweh, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. And you've made my lot uh, secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a, a delightful inheritance. And notice it says, you have assigned me my portion, my cup, my lot, my boundaries. And when I was a young man, I was not happy. I was not happy with the assigned boundaries. I wanted boundaries to be pushed out and I wanted to be different. I've told you before, I wanted to be tall. And as tall as I got was five foot six. And I I just came back from the doctor um, a month or so ago for my annual physical. And um, a couple months ago, and I had really disappointing news. Uh, The nurse measured me 
and I'm five, five and a half, you know. And I told him, no, 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 that's wrong. And she said, sorry, Mr. Bedley, when you get to that age, you know, you start going downhill and you're shrinking, you know. And my wife, when I told her, said, no, you're not shrinking. She said, you're just hunched and bent over like an old man, you know. I said, oh, you made me feel better. Made me feel really, really good. So there's something that's just really important for us to understand that God has assigned us you know, our place, and we have limitations, we have limits, and we're living in a culture, I would say, ever since the 60s, has been pushing this idea that you can have it all. You can have it all. And there's a real discontent in our culture where people are not liking who they are or their place or their position or where they're at. And I'm not saying you shouldn't want to better yourself. And I'm not saying there isn't injustice in our culture or in our world. But right now, the people are so unhappy and so angry. And everyone's so complaining, especially in the media. There's just this grinding. Or when people are unhappy with how they were built and how God made them. And there's all kinds of fighting and pushing against and shaking their fists at at what they are and who they are. And I want you to know that one of the best things you can do is realize that God has made you who you are. And he has given you limits. And one of the most important things is to embrace your limits, your limitations, your giftedness, your personality, and the way that God has made you, there are limits, but they are wonderful. I don't know if you've ever been to Walmart with a two-and-a-half-year-old. I don't know if you've ever seen a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, get taken to Walmart at, at lunchtime or in the early afternoon. And normally they're taking a nap, but for some reason they get taken to Walmart. And they have a total meltdown. And it could be in the, in the basket, you know. They get told about the eighth time, will you sit down there? If you don't sit down there. Or, or maybe they're in the aisle and they just fall apart and they're crying and they're screaming and they're kicking. And, and they're even turning to their mom and I hate you, mom, I hate you, you know. And, and, and everyone knows that they've reached their limit. And what they need is uh, a nap. And sometimes when I hit limits in my own life, I wish someone would say to me, George, you just need to take a nap. Every once in a while, Elaine will say that. He said, you need to take a nap. And we have limitations, and we know that for two-year-olds, but many times we have limitations, and we need to praise God that he's given us uh, the tools uh, to be in those and to live in those limitations. Uh, Number four, got to keep going. Number four. And I'm answering the question, why must we let Jesus become greater? Number four, because Jesus has everything in his hands. Jesus has everything in his hands. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. When I was growing up uh, in our youth group, when I was about 13, there was this song that was really popular and we used to sing it. And it was this idea that he's got everything in his hands. God has everything. And he's got the whole wide world in his hands. And it's this idea that God has us in his hands. And he has us in families, in circumstances, at work, in Puyallup or wherever you're at. He has you there. And he knows everything. And he has you in his hand And one of the best things that we can do 
is to take our hand and put it in his and trust him and let him increase, let him become greater and let us become less because he holds everything in his hand. God has given everything to him. Even when it talks about at the end of that chapter about wrath and judgment, people that don't believe, you know, that that Jesus is going to be the judge someday. I mean, it's some hard stuff there, but I'm, I wanted to focus on this idea of him being greater and increasing. Verse um, the number five, number five, this is the last one. Uh, because whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Uh, why must we become, why must Jesus become greater? It's because whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And one of the main reasons for us to let him become greater and for him uh, to increase in our life is because he's the one that has eternal life. And the psalmist writes, you know, guide me to the end and then take me to glory. And as you get older and older, you have this, this, if you're a Christian, you start going more and more. Yeah, there's going to be a time I'm not going to be on earth. I'm going to be in glory. I'm going to be in heaven. And he has eternal life. And so I want to believe and remember John's purpose for writing the gospel of John is so that people might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a verse that I, uh, I didn't um, emphasize, a part of a verse that I didn't emphasize. Maybe you noticed it. Verse 29, and the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. So imagine your life. What would it be like if you heard from God on a daily basis? That you listened, you wait and listen. And as Jesus becomes greater and greater, your joy becomes more full and more full. I just find myself... Especially during this COVID-19. I know a lot of people are going through some really hard times. Uh, And sometimes I just have to turn off the news because it's so depressing. But there is something that can happen to us even if circumstances aren't the greatest. And conditions aren't the, the best. And things aren't happening. And everyone's telling us to be patient. And we're tired of being patient. But one of the things that, that is promised for Christians, for people that follow Christ is this idea of being full of joy, of having a completeness of joy in our lives. So imagine this idea of being like John, where you, you wait and you listen and you let him increase so that your joy is full. Amen? Hey, let me pray for you. If you'd stand with me, I'm going to pray with you and, and uh, just bless you. Father God, I just thank you for each person here. Just pray that you would bless them, shine your face upon them. We thank you for each person here. We thank you that, that you can be greater and you can increase. And we can decrease and we can be less. And you can be the one. Oh, we love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. And we pray that you would help us to connect with you and connect with the Holy Spirit deeply this week. We pray for people that are going to make decisions this Easter. Oh, God, we pray for them. We ask for you to do a mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen.